Um, and then we have our top two, which is what we call the swinger and the smooth. The smooth needs no introduction. It is somebody like Ian Thorpe, somebody you look at and go, wow, that's amazing. But it's really interesting that the majority of the world's best triathletes and open water swimmers swim nothing like that whatsoever. That triathlon show, 133. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and this is part two of my interview with Paul Newsom, founder of Swim Smooth. If you have not yet listened to part one in episode 132, you should definitely go back and listen to that first to get the full context of what we're talking about in this interview. That's also where you'll hear the introduction to Paul and who he really is and what his uh, credibility is. For now, let's just quickly thank our sponsors, Precision Hydration, the sweat experts that uh, help you get hydrated, stay hydrated and perform well, even in long races in hot climates. But uh, that doesn't mean that you should only use Precision Hydration in hot Ironman races, of course. If you want to do your best in races, you need to perform well in training. So it is essential that you train with, uh, with Precision Hydration as well as with any energy that you plan on using on race day. Train as you race, as they say. There is a lot of truth to that. So the reason that you should be using precision hydration is that as you sweat, you lose sodium and other electrolytes, but sodium in particular. And in the past, you may have been taking salt tablets, but you had no idea really how much you took and why you took that amount. Maybe it's something that you read in a newspaper. But did you know that the amount of sodium that uh, you lose can vary by many, many times more or less compared to the other guy, compared to your training partner? You may be losing 2,000 milligrams of sodium per hour whereas your or per liter of sweat whereas your training partner loses 500 so you would need four times as much sodium and that is where precision hydration's free online sweat test can help you get a handle on how much you need because by just answering a short quiz with a few simple questions you can find out in where in the ballpark you fall on the sweat sodium content and sweat sodium loss range and that in turn helps you choose which strength of precision hydration electrolyte product that you end up ordering to make sure that your electrolyte stores stay topped up during your training and racing. So you can find that on precisionhydration.com. I also have a link in the episode description and in the show notes to go directly to to the quiz, to uh, the sweat test. And when you're done, if you want to order any Precision Hydration products, you can try your first box for free. No risk at all. Just use the promo code DEATHTRIATHLONSHOW, all one word, all caps, and you'll get that first box or tube of PH product for free. And try it out and uh, see how you go, and uh, then go back and order more if you're happy with it. All right, that's it for an intro. Now let's get right back into the interview with Paul Newsom from Swim Smooth. What about uh, 
what, what about uh, the swimming ability level and how does that impact at all how you look at like this kind of bread and butter training week that we've described if uh, you have say a beginner versus an advanced athlete Yes, absolutely. I think the one of our cornerstones of what we believe in really in our philosophy is that what we call our three keys to triathlon performance. And whilst that might sound a little bit cheesy to use you know, three keys or three pillars or whatever it might be, the thing that we really believe that every triathlete needs to take into take into account is not just the pure technique work, you know, learning how to develop the efficiency of the stroke, but then also how they apply themselves with the right type of training and then equally how they adapt to the open water. So those three keys, technique, training and open water, very, very important, irrespective of which level you are with your training. Uh, so we get a lot of people saying, you know, the classic thing I hear time and time again, somebody comes to me for a video analysis session and uh, they may be sort of very much into the technique and they like the science behind what I'm telling them and the biomechanics, etc. And we get into deep conversation about efficiency and how to improve the stroke, da, 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 da. And they'll say, and I'll have this conversation with them and I'll say, look, this is all very important. What we're doing here is very, very important, but you've still got to apply yourself properly with the right type of training. And they'll typically find back oh yes 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 i'll do that once my technique is perfect and i'll and i'll sort of laugh because i'll sim- simply say well you know your technique is no no disrespect but your technique is never going to be perfect there is no such thing as a perfect freestyle uh freestyle or any stroke um swim stroke and i think a lot of people get um you know held back on that idea that they'll only start doing training of the ilk of you know the red mist and the css development sessions once they feel like their stroke is in place because they're they're often fearful that their technique is going to start to supposedly fall apart when they start to do hard training but in reality you almost get into this status quo there or this cul-de-sac of just thinking i'll start that next week or i'll start that next month or i'll start that next season and the reality is that people end up going round and round in circles for three or four years without ever ha- actually doing any true proper, you know, proper training work, which will actually help them. And we've got a, a lady in the squad who, you know, she started off with a CSS pace of two minutes, 12 per hundred meters, which, you know, would be off the back of the slow lane in our squad over in Perth. And, you know, technically she actually had a pretty reasonable stroke. She was just actually very, very slow. And we did some work on the tempo of a stroke, a stroke rate and um, and general tidying up. But I didn't discourage her in those early days from coming along, giving a CSS session a go, giving a red mist session a go to sort of really help to endorse the technique session, technique work that we're doing. Because, you know, it's all very well having a pretty stroke, but if you can only sustain it for 50 meters and doing a drill for 50 meters and taking two minutes rest, then then that is not efficient or nor effective swimming. So um, I, I really try to encourage everybody that I coach to think about those three keys, the tech, the technique, the training and the open water and not to shy away from any of those. I had um, a very good lady um, who I believe maybe still holds the world record for the as the best age group female athlete in Kona, uh, a lady called Catherine Foe from the UK. And, you know, she came for a video analysis session. She wanted to try to knock off around about seven or eight minutes off her Ironman swim time. Uh, to have the view of stepping up to the pro ranks and she's a brilliant athlete and we looked at her stroke technically underneath the water and above the water and she looked really very very good so I said look I've got some bad news for you you know the technique that you've got at the moment is is pretty much where I'd say it should be and then we had a chat about training and and again she was following all the advice that I'd actually recommend and she said well how am I going to make this improvement I said well let's talk about open water swimming how much open water training do you do how often do you get in the open water and she says oh I do that when I race 
I said, there's your problem. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's like training in the open water. I've been here uh, over in Mallorca for the last week and I'm racing every single day. And that race experience, that ability to draft better, to position yourself in the field, you know, it, I, I, maybe it's a bit bold of me to say it might be worth seven or eight minutes over an Ironman swim, but it's definitely going to be worth three or four minutes in that capacity. And uh, so I said to Catherine, you know, you, you know, you tick the boxes for our for our technique and our, for our training, but it's the open water area that we need to focus on. So, I think when you think of it, things like that, you know, if you if you thought right, I'd like to make a six minute improvement over over an iron distance. Think about where not 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 where you can try and get six minutes from technique, but maybe two minutes from technique, two minutes from the type of training, and two minutes from the type of open water uh, adaptation you've got, and then you'll definitely be making some really good inroads with your swimming. And I think that uh, the type of training that you prescribe, with uh, based on based on threshold pace and and slightly below that, that's also conducive to combining technique and fitness training because it's not hard enough that you can't focus completely on technique while you're swimming at a reasonable pace. If you have the awareness and the focus and re- real presence in in the moment to to be able to think about your your stroke, it will make it a bit easier for you to to go at that pace. Whereas like a pure vo2 max type session that might just be you trying to just simply produce as much power as you can and you can't really think at the same way at least and focus on on technique so so you will get technique training without the drills so to say in some of those other sessions as well yeah yeah absolutely you're absolutely spot on i just had a little tingle go at my back when you said all those things there michael because you're you know it's absolutely spot on i think a lot of people think yeah this css stuff it sounds like a lot of hard work but when you actually work out the the actual pace and like you say you set off you realize that you can actually sustain very good technique and you can develop things like good pacing when you've got it right and it becomes a you just feel like you're in this zone where you truly are making a a really important impact with your swimming Mm. and and let's segue into that uh, open water discussion a bit more How, how often do you recommend for the busy age trooper to get in the open water of course, a lot of this is going to be dependent on about where you're situated, you know, Northern Hemisphere versus Southern Hemisphere. Where I'm in Perth, we can swim year-round in the open water, so I encourage my athletes to do that. Um, up in the Northern Hemisphere, you know, some people are going to have uh, – where you are currently, Michael, up in Finland, where I enjoyed Christmas with my kids up there this last year, a beautiful part of the world. Obviously, uh, most of your lakes, I would imagine, are going to be frozen for a good period of time. So getting out there in the open water is obviously going to be uh, – uh, geographically that's going to be the limiting factor there but you know once it comes to the race season definitely once per week and you know even if you don't have the access to pure open water what I like to do um, one session per week with my squad is we'll actually do like some uh, open water specific training in the pool so we might take out the lane ropes we might put in some buoys uh, or boys uh, turning boys we might um uh, you know, get everybody clustered up into a group and, and try to actually sort of swim around each other, try to simulate that feeling of being, uh, being you know, touched and knocked and bumped around, etc. Um, so that, you know, it, there are ways and means of doing that. And I think, you know, back in the early days, somebody was saying this to me just the other day, actually leading into this um, New Yorker Best Fest, they said, you know, I like swimming in the open water, but it's so easy just to drift off and not you know you get out you don't know how far you swim you don't know how fast you swim you just haven't got any information about it so well you know welcome to uh to 2018 you can <laughs> you now have things like the 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 garments are fantastic uh we have a little product called the marlin which is a, a gps unit which actually talks to you whilst you're swimming so you can actually do really structured training now in the open water um prior to us having this marlin out what i'd do is i'd actually 
if I wanted to do, let's say, 400 meters in five minutes 20, I'd actually set a tempo trainer on one ear to beep every five minutes 20 and the Garmin to beep every time I've gone through 400 meters and I just swim in a line until the until both of them hopefully go at the same time and you start to get a lot more structured in that capacity and, and that's made for me that's made open water tra- swim training a lot more enjoyable and it can sort of you know in the past i think i'd be thinking um for example myself and andy blow years and years ago i think it's 96 prior to the national uh, junior championships in in the uk we went and did all this pure open water training in North Wales leading into the national championships and then got to the race and neither of us actually swam that well. I think one of the reasons was we, we'd been doing all this specific swimming in the open water, but maybe not at an intensity which was high enough. We hadn't done enough structured work in the open water, uh, whereas these days it's very, very easy to do that. And so because of that, I you know obviously encourage people to do as much open water swimming as they possibly can really. Yeah, that's a very good tip about uh, using the Garmin Garmin beeps, the the alerts, and and the tempo trainer combined to to get get a lot of structure. And I haven't actually thought about that. I used uh, the Garmin, but uh, then it gets yeah. a bit difficult when you when you have uh, you can have multiple alerts, but it gets confusing. You don't know which one is yeah. working first, etc. So adding the tempo Absolutely. trainer there makes a lot of sense. Totally, totally, so, and I think the I think the thing with the uh, you know the tempo trainer itself is that's a good way of doing it. But the uh, the little Marlin thing that we've got actually talks to me every time. Um, you know, every time I go through a hundred meters, it tells me what what my last pace was. So rather than actually retrospectively looking looking back at what pace I've done, this this will actually uh, tell me um, exactly what I've done um, when I'm doing it, which is a really good way of doing that. Okay, I'll I'll look it up and I'll definitely link to that as well in the in the show notes. Let's start wrapping up this segment with the, the training structure by uh, we alluded to them already I think but can you just quickly summarize what you think the main mistakes that triathletes make in the structure of their swim training? I think um two things really uh no progress so somebody often tells me you know they're plateauing off with their swimming I'll say well what times you're holding and they'll go um well I think it's about this and I said well then you don't really know if you plateaued <laughs> if you can't give me an accurate answer then you don't know if you've if if you plateaued enough or not so um one of the nice things about knowing where your CSS pace is and using a, a simple thing like the tempo trainer Tempo trainer is accurate to one one hundredth of a second. So on a week to week basis, as you start to improve, you can just make very, very fine adjustments of, you know, as small as, well, as small as a hundredth of a second, but typically somewhere in the region of 0.1 to 0.15 of a second improvement per week. And that's such a small amount of progression that you don't really realize it and think about it on a week to week basis. But over 10 to 12 weeks you've made you know you've made a good uh, good chunk of improvement to your css um, and the other thing as well is we started off talking about um our pure technique session and lots of drills etc but i do think a lot of people a lot of triathletes fall foul of doing having too much focus on doing too many drills um and not enough focus on the the type of training that they're actually doing as well and you know, just to step back to uh, two or three minutes there, the the idea of having these three keys of training, uh, t- sorry, technique, training, and open water. Um, if you can always think about that within your head, you should start to develop a really nice, um, nicely balanced uh, swim training program. Yeah, I think at this point, I've had quite a few swim coaches on on the podcast, and and you're all saying the same thing that uh, doing focusing too much on technique and not enough on on fitness is one of the main mistakes so so for the listeners this is starting to become a trend so so it's uh, probably time to heed this advice if you if you haven't already 
Uh, so uh, just to, to continue this a little bit, uh, if you can quickly summarize uh, a couple of next uh, important steps for the listeners who want to implement uh, this sort of structure that uh, that we've been talking about, what would the most important next steps be for them? Absolutely. Well, the next step would certainly be get to have a, a video analysis and stroke correction session done um, in the first day. So we have um, ourselves, we have over nearly uh, 50 coaches dotted around the world who can do this um, for you. Um, so you go in, you'd have your stroke analyzed above and below the water and work out two or three key points for the stroke. So you've, you've got a very clear idea that when you are doing pure technique work, you know exactly what you need to be working on. Uh, you then need to go and work out what your CSS pace is at the moment. And even though we often get a lot of feedback, people do the CSS test and say, oh, I think this is wrong. I think I can hold faster than that. I'll, st- I'll still say to them, just take that data that you've got, go and do something like the Goldilocks session. If you get all the way through the Goldilocks set, then you know that you've, yeah, that you know that the pace is, uh, is correct. Or if it was too easy, then you just adjust it up or down accordingly. So that would be the next thing is to work out CSS pace, implement appropriate training program. Like I mentioned before, if you're swimming two or three times per week, then a bit of technique endurance, a bit of red mist and uh, a bit of CSS development would be great. And then finally, to just make sure that you're training regularly in the open water and that you're doing it in a structured manner. So you're not just going in for a, you know, oh, I think I'll just jump in and see how I feel for 20 minutes or what have you. You actually go in there with a purpose. You think about even incorporating some of the some intervals into the open water and do some really structured work. And that'd be a really good uh, next step for somebody to take for sure. Perfect. And uh, let's uh, switch gears a little bit and uh, move into some other topics. And one thing that you talk about quite a bit is uh, different strokes for different people and that there's no one correct technique. So uh, can you elaborate a little bit about that? Absolutely. We have a uh, system here at Swim Smooth, which we call Swim Types. And we basically, over the years, we've we've done, um, I've been doing video analysis now for 20 years, and I've seen thousands and tens of thousands of swimmers over those times and you know in the old days people used to say everybody needs to try and swim like ian thorpe for example because he looks long he looks smooth he looks very very efficient but we're not not all six foot six and weigh 100 kilos and have massive pecs and shoulders and in fact to be honest with you most triathletes don't want to be that type of shape um so it's interesting because when you look at the brownlee brothers who are obviously you know, the best of the best. Um, they don't swim anything like that at all. So as part of our swim type paradigm, we, re- we actually recognize six different types of swimmer. One is what we call the Arnie. This is somebody who's fighting the water with low sinking legs. We have a Bambino, somebody who's often quite nervous and anxious in the water and struggles with their breathing. We have what we call a kicktastic, which is somebody who sits very horizontal in the water with a big, strong, powerful leg kick. We have an overglider who might be somebody who, who tends to sort of gravitate more towards doing drills and wanting to improve efficiency, but they tend to swim with a stroke rate, which is way too slow in the pursuit of that, that you know, that super long uh, stroke, which they believe to be super efficient. Um, which isn't necessarily the case. Um, and then we have our top two, which is what we call the swinger and the smooth. The smooth needs no introduction. It is somebody like Ian Thorpe, somebody you look at and go, wow, that's amazing. But it's really interesting that the majority of the world's best triathletes and open water swimmers swim nothing like that whatsoever. Alistair Brownlee, I'm lucky to know Alistair and Jonathan. And um, you know, I often ask them what they think about their stroke. And it's surprising to hear a double Olympic gold medalist actually respond back with a, an expletive basically saying that he doesn't think his stroke is very good. I say, well, yeah, what do you mean it's not very good? It, you know, you're the best in the world. You're, you're leading out the Commonwealth Games out of the water. It must be effective what you're doing. And 
I think we've got to look a little bit beyond um, aesthetics uh, for open water swimming because there are no style points in triathlon swimming. It's all about who is first out of the water and obviously who is most effective. And the the, guy, the Brownlee brothers swim with a brilliant stroke for open water swimming, which has a straighter arm recovery. So that differs to the smooth, whereas the normally the classic high elbow recovery, uh, the stroke tends to be a little bit shorter and the stroke rate tends to be quite a bit higher to account for swimming, people swimming around them and waves and chops. Now that's not cue for everybody to suddenly start swimming with like a windmill arm recovery over the top of the water and a stroke rate of 95 strokes per minute, uh, like the Brownlee brothers do. But, um, it's, it's certainly cue to sort of look at look at swimming a little bit more holistically, especially for open water swimming, and recognise that look how I look in the water is not necessarily um, you know connected to how effective or how efficient I am because there are plenty of very nice looking swimmers out there who are still swimming slower than two minutes per hundred meters, and and that's a real that's a real shame because those swimmers think of themselves as being efficient. But they're coming out of the water in times which just don't do the justice for the for the amount of training and technique work that they're actually doing in their uh, in their program. So, yeah, that's definitely a little bit on the on the different swimming styles that uh, that make it make a difference for somebody swimming for sure. And is a swimming swimming style is that something that you you have, or is it something that can somebody who currently tries to swim with a smooth swim style but is more of an overglider uh, can they be actually doing themselves a uh, a disfavor and they should act they would actually be more uh more more ben benefit more from having a more of a swing sw swinger stroke style or is it more something that you want to try to develop your strengths what you're already doing what how do you look at that I think the latter point is very, very key is develop your strength. So we've just run this uh, three-day coaches course over here in Mallorca and uh, two of the athletes, who, funny enough, we actually just ran a blog uh, literally yesterday and it's called Different Strokes for Different Folks. And one of the coaches uh, is 198 centimeters, absolutely massive guy. And you look at him and you think, oh, this guy's got the most perfect physique for, especially for pure pool swimming. Um Another guy on the course who's 172 centimeters, and the interesting thing they they end up doing the CSS test, and they're both exactly the same speed, and yet the tall guy is actually swimming with the classic smooth stroke, which suits him perfectly because he has the build for it. Um, whereas the shorter swimmer um, tends to swim with more of the classic um, um, swinger style. Now, if the tall guy was to try to swim exactly like the short guy, that would be a disfavor for him. Equally, uh, as and this is more more uh, typically the case the shorter swimmer to try to swim like the taller guy that is going to do him a massive disfavor because he simply hasn't got the biomechanics or the the build to actually be able to do that i was just talking to somebody yesterday that she read the blog that we put out yesterday uh, down here at the best fest she doesn't know who i am she came up sought me out and she says she's almost in tears saying oh i can't believe it she's i've always thought that i can't can't swim with that really long stroke and i looked at her and she's about five foot zero you know so 150 odd centimeters or what have you and she it's like a, a waiter come off her shoulder she says i'm just going to go out there and embrace my swinger self my embrace the strengths that i've got and i said yeah do that you know it, these these conditions today are quite choppy that style is going to suit the conditions it's certainly going to suit your body type and build so go out there and embrace it you know and then um, i think the take-home point for the taller swimmers out there the smooths of the world if you like is don't change what you've got there but certainly know how to adapt your stroke to the open water so when somebody does have that very, very smooth looking, elegant freestyle swim stroke, and they are truly swimming smooth, they're not overgliding. So these are swimmers swimming, you know, better than 130 per 100 meters. Uh, when you've got a swimmer like that, it's about then sort of 
teaching them the skills of open water swimming, like what does it feel like to swim in close confines to other swimmers, take advantage of that 38%, uh, up to 38% benefit of, of drafting and, uh, and you know, sort of embrace a little bit of what swingers do well in the water without obviously actually changing your stroke fundamentally or changing your strength fundamentally to become necessarily a pure swinger because that, that's probably not going to fit your body type and build either in the reverse way. Yeah, and I think what you mentioned there uh, in passing about uh, they're truly swimming smooth and not overgliding, that's uh, something that is key to point out because... Uh if somebody has uh, that kind of tendency, I mean, you still want to, you don't want to have dead spots and, and do a glide in front of your stroke. So, so that, that again, especially not in the open water. Yeah. Sure. yeah. So, so definitely will, this is something that we'll also link to in the show notes and, and your, your book, by the way, the swim smooth, I think it's a brilliant uh, book and it goes into, into these archetypes in, in great detail. So, so that's something I would highly recommend anybody go and go and get. Uh, Thank you very much. Ne- next topic that i want to talk about a bit is stroke rate this is uh, an article that i reference a lot to the athletes that i coach the stroke rate development article that you have and the chart that you have on your on your website so can you talk a little bit about how your speed kind of determines your stroke rate within a certain range absolutely so I think it's important to recognize that um, as much as we can spout off different stroke rates so for example Ian Thorpe used to swim with a stroke rate of 76. 76 for most swimmers um, is actually really quite quick. Uh, it looks slow for Ian Thorpe because he has such a long stroke as well. So it's a long, smooth, effective stroke. Um, he does in his book talk about this idea that he could swim down the pool in 20 or 24 strokes if he wanted to. But even Ian Thorpe separates this idea that if he went down the pool in few, that few strokes, he'd be simply gliding and not swimming efficiently. So even one of the world's most glidey swimmers separates the word glide from efficiency. So I think the the problem then comes is that a lot of people over the years have focused on length of stroke and not so much on the rating of the stroke. And it's just like riding a bike. You know, you wouldn't say, okay, we all need to uh, focus on, uh, we all need to ride in the 53-12 uh, on the gear ratio, for example, because that's only one part of the perspective. It doesn't then take into account well somebody can ride at 53 12 but if they're only pushing 25 rpm then that's not particularly efficient pedaling technique just like swimming and so working out what uh, what this is for you is very very important so we have this little chart that you mentioned um, on the uh, bottom axis, on the x-axis there, we look at speed uh, ranging from one minute to uh, around about two minutes, 10 per 100 meters. And on the, um, on the uh, sorry, I've got that wrong way around, haven't I? But on the, uh, on the vertical axis there, uh, we're looking at uh, stroke rate. And what you can actually do then is actually look at a range, basically, whereby if somebody's swimming at, let's say, two minutes, 10 per 100, but they're stroking at 70 strokes per minute, then potentially for their given swimming speed, that stroke rate would actually be too quick for them but equally if you've got somebody let's say the average triathlete swimming at around about 140 145 per 100 but if they are doing what we call overgliding and they are swimming at let's say 42 strokes per minute then they're going to be down in our what we call our blue zone whereby they are actually stopping and stalling between strokes so when you look at this chart you see the red zone in between uh, and then sandwiched in between that is this white zone and then the blue band down at the bottom. And you want to obviously be trying to get yourself into the white zone. And you'll see that there's a bit of range there at different swim speeds. And that's just to account for um, different people's heights and builds um, you know, and, uh, and to sort of account for that. So there's no critical number. That you, I couldn't say to every one of your readers or every one of your listeners, sorry, Michael, I couldn't say to them, 
um, you all need to swim at 95 strokes per minute because that's what the Brownleys do, or you all need to swim at 76 if you're swimming in the pool because that's what Ian Thorpe used to do. It's about looking at where, what speed you're at right now, your height and build, and what works well for the stroke. So, you know, good coaches can actually look at a swimmer and just sort of say, that stroke rate is too quick, or that stroke rate is too slow, or yes, that stroke rate is great, we need to focus on something else. Um, but you can do a little thing which we call the stroke rate ramp test, where you can work out what stroke rate you're at at the moment so how many strokes you're taking per minute and then if you back it off by let's say six to eight strokes per minute and do a series of 50 meters where each 50 you just use a tempo trainer to make the stroke rate that little bit faster you can get a friend on the side of the pool to count how many strokes you're doing how long it takes you to do each lap and also how you feel at the end of each lap as well and then you can sort of plot this out and you very very quickly start to find a, an efficient spot for yourself whereby you're swimming with a good rhythm you're swimming with a stroke length which is not crazy short and neither is it crazy crazy long and you're you're knocking out some good times and you're actually feeling good as well and then that starts to give you a bit of an idea about where you should be at this point in time yeah yeah i, I used that uh that ramps test with uh, with one of the athletes that i coach and it's uh, it's really helpful it, it really helps uh, helps the athlete then especially if they combine that with with some specific tempo trainer work in the period afterwards to try to get their their stroke rate to that ideal stroke rate to yeah to to develop that and get that ingrained uh what about equipment uh, and swim toys and tools uh, which ones do you like which ones do you not like and and how do you kind of use them in training i think the all of my swimmers in the squad have a pair of flippers first and foremost and um we use the fins a lot of people say ah oh, you know why why don't you do more pure kick work we don't do any kick work with the kickboard but we do do plenty of drills where we have the fins on we're in promoting ankle flexibility we're pro promoting kicking efficiency with those fins on but primarily we're actually thinking more so about key aspects at the front of the stroke i.e what the hand is doing upon entry how the shoulders feel to actually sort of really make the the biggest gains within the stroke so a pair of fins um i highly steer people away from the short stubby fins um especially triathletes because the most triathletes ankles are already very stiff and inflexible and popping on a pair of stiff and inflexible flippers just makes no sense whatsoever so finnies make a really good pair of uh, flippers called the floating fins which are nice and um nice and flexible nice and rubberized and uh, those are what we use for that uh, a pool boy is a uh, is a must for especially for the sculling and the doggy paddle uh, we use a range of different paddles i mentioned the finnish freestylers beforehand which are really good for hand entry uh, there's also a pair called the Finney's Agility Paddles, which don't have any straps on at all. You just have a, a hole for the thumb. And these will only stay on your hand if you're actually pulling through correctly. And Michael, if there's one thing in life I wish I'd I'd invented myself, it's these pair of paddles because they are absolutely super effective at improving somebody's catch and pull through. Um, and then, of course, the the Tempo Trainer as well, the Finney's Tempo Trainer. That that would be my sort of pool kit swimming bag. Um, I might add a, add a band in there as well. But, uh, you know, I, I think there are many, many products on the on the market. And even what I've just listed off there might sound like a, a lot to have in your kit bag. But as long as you know what you're using them for and can use them in a structured manner, then they, they really start to play benefits for improving your swimming. In in your main sets in your training, are they always pure without uh, equipment, or do you sometimes use uh, things like paddles or pool boy? Really good question. So the red mist endurance session is a pure swim session. No, no. Uh, 
bits of equipment at all. Um, occasionally, I'll pop on the board, okay, um, let's say, for example, we're doing those 10 400s, and in between those 10 400s, we might do six times 50 meters, almost as like a little bit of a uh, recovery swim. So after every block of... Um, Let's say after every block of three or four four hundreds, we'll do six fifties as a recovery swim. I'll give the swimmers the option to use pool boy and paddles during that section, but it usually is an option as opposed to a you must use pool boy and paddles during this set here. Um, so yeah, there is, there is that one session per week where we try not to use any equipment at all and try to really simulate. And you know, if the if the triathlete um, uh, occasionally they will get people saying, "Can I wear a wetsuit during that session?" You know, the water temperature is 28, 29 degrees where we swim. So sometimes like, you can almost be like boiling the bag rice. But uh, a lot of swimmers will, a lot of triathletes will come down and wear the wetsuit during that session as well, at least for the first part, just to give them a sense of what it feels like to be utilizing that. Uh, so you mentioned there the red mist, but, but what about the other, not talking about like the, the warm up parts or, or build parts even, but just the pure main sets? Uh, is that something that you. Ah, sorry. Okay. Yes. So, so yeah, so I tried to steer people. From, yeah, I tried to steer uh, all the athletes away from using uh, using equipment during the main sets, especially on a CSS uh, development session, or even during the technique endurance session when we're just doing the endurance part of it. I'll tend to steer them away from using um, pieces of equipment to you know because again we're just trying to simulate what it's going to feel like to swim uh, without that uh, without that equipment. You know, occasionally we're building a bit of pool boy and paddles, like I mentioned in the red mist endurance session, but uh, nine times out of ten, I'm saying please swim this bit of a set without that and you know the crafty swimmer will typically reach out and grab a pool boy and they'll, they'll tell me oh i'm using this pool boy because i'm trying to improve my strength but as i mentioned earlier on strength i, I said the word strength endurance and in inverted commas swimming is not really limited by strength if you think about how many revolutions of the arms you do uh over an hour um the actual relative force that goes through the arm um, when you're actually swimming is very, very low indeed. So usually the reason somebody's reaching out for a pool boy is simply because they know that it lifts the bum and legs higher and actually gives them a, gives them back an extra five or six seconds per 100 meters. So I'd prefer for that swimmer to sort of deal with it and deal with that drop-off in pace just the way they would have to do in a in, in an open water race or a triathlon and they should just manage the pacing and manage their stroke technique um, whilst they're under a bit of pressure. Yeah, if it was about strength, I don't think there would be so many 13-year-old girls swimming twice the speed of 30-year-old men. That's exactly right. I was swimming with one of those girls yesterday, actually, and I was just thinking, <laughs> how the heck is she moving so quickly? You know, like, she was unbelievably good with this girl in the uh, in this race that I did yesterday, an Ironman swim over here. And um, you're absolutely right, you know, she certainly wasn't big and strong or anything like that, but she was an incredible swimmer for sure. So final question before we go into the rapid fire questions to finish off this interview. What's your take on strength training? You mentioned that there might not be time for it, but uh, if there is time for it, uh, is that something that you would recommend doing? And if so, how would you incorporate it to complement swim training? Um, again, it's a good question. And I fall back a little bit just on my previous statement there about uh, how swimming itself is not limited by strength itself. So the idea of going into gym and getting big and strong, etc. is not necessarily uh, a, a requisite for good freestyle swimming. Um, but I do get my athletes to spend plenty of time with things like TheraBands and roller, foam rollers and stuff to promote range of movement and flexibility, which I guess you could sort of say is strength or core conditioning, let's call it. Um, it, and you know you might not have time to go to the gym but it's certainly something you can do when, whilst you're watching the tv at the at the end of the day and you're just having a little bit of a wind down utilizing um foam rollers and um you know 
tennis balls and stuff to loosen out knots, etc. is quite a good thing to do. So I generally stay, stay away from pure strength training. Um, if I do get somebody to go into the gym, I'll be getting them to think about, okay, look, how what what exercise most simulates um uh, you know swimming and a lot of people go oh, i need to build up my chest and build up my shoulders they'll go and do bench pressing and pec deck and shoulder presses and stuff like that whereas in actual fact you need to really be doing the reverse of that so if you are going to go into the gym things like seated upright rowing lat pull downs um anything that's actually going to draw your shoulder blades together and back to actually prevent that sort of hunched over rounded posture is actually going to be time well spent in the gym mainly as like prehab as opposed to necessarily building pure strength as it were okay got it so let's uh, finally move into the rapid fire questions and uh, take just uh, one sentence 15 seconds or less to answer these starting with what's your favorite book blog or resource related to triathlon or swimming it's got to be this one, Michael. I've been listening in for. I've, it's been great that you've actually put so many, so many of my old colleagues and friends up on here recently. So I really do like uh, like uh, like listening to what you're putting out there. I think you're doing a doing a great job there. And um, I also really like, if I can use one other, I do like uh, the Rich Roll podcast as well. I've been listening to that and actually just currently reading his book at the moment, doing ultra ultra distance races and uh, obviously he did the Ultra last year as well. Um, so gaining a little bit of inspiration from that. What's your favorite piece of gear or equipment? My Marlin GPS unit. So I've been using that plenty of times this week here in Mallorca, and that's helped to keep me on track and uh, give me pace feedback as well when I'm swimming. And what's a personal habit that's helped you achieve success? Routine. Uh, we mentioned consistency earlier on. You know, I, when I've got a routine established and having a goal primarily, um, I just feel like I'm in a, such a better place and become much more efficient. You know, it's, you, you think sometimes you think i'm so busy can't fit everything in but once you've got a bit of a routine established it, it makes a huge difference and having a goal is the thing that drives that routine forwards and speaking of that do you have a goal with uh, with andy for your utile participation oh, i could tell you but then i'd have to uh, <laughs> um now um for me andy is in much much better shape he's kept much better fitness than i have especially on the running over the over the years so the biggest thing for for me going to Attila, uh, Attila is to ensure that um, i stay as injury free as possible on the running sections um, i'm very happy with where my swimming is at right now especially after this big boost of a week here in mallorca but um yeah i know andy's finished uh, in the top 10 before with his uh, previous partner and also former training partner elliot Scholofor, but um you know, I think they finished eighth a few years ago. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'd love to get around it, and I'd love to say I really enjoyed the course and uh, and just had that sort of camaraderie, shared experience with Andy because you know we used to be um, used to be head to head training partners uh, many many years ago. So it'd be great to reignite that sort of flame, uh, as it were, um, whilst we're racing around this course. So yeah, I think we're just going to go and put in the best possible performance. We both got very very busy lives with our coaching and uh, with his uh, precision hydration and uh, we've both got very very young families as well so i think we're going to go into it thinking okay let's make the best of what we what we've got what we can do these days we're both turning 40 that week um or certainly i am he's a couple of weeks after me so for me it's as much about sort of um, trying to delay the onset of old age as as absolutely possible so it's been great to have a little bit of a goal this year um as i do turn 40 yeah yeah it's it's funny because andy said if i'm not misremembering that his goal is to is to just try to keep up with you and not let you down <laughs> so so somebody, I think somebody when i heard him say, 
Yeah, when when he when he said that, I was thinking he's been very generous there. He's been <laughs> because that, that's that certainly won't be the case. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, finally, for where the listeners can find out more about you and Swim Smooth and everything you got going on, that is uh, swimsmooth.com on the internet and your Swim Smooth on most social media. I guess is there anything else that you want to mention or something you want to plug before? Yeah, no, that's that's correct. Yeah, yeah, and your listeners might be interested to know that um, we're actually running a um, uh, a really fabulous prize at the moment on swimsmooth.com, and that's the ability to uh, we're going to we're offering a all expenses holiday uh, to to over to Perth to come actually train with me to train with the squad to go through exactly what I've been talking to you about on the podcast today uh, to have a one to one video analysis session as well. So all they need to go is go to swimsmooth.com, and we link off to all our other resources from there. Um, we do a once weekly training blog, the feelforthewater.com, um, which allows, but you know, once you sign up to that, that automatically then puts you into the uh, into the running for this prize, which we're going to uh, announce in December this year, and uh, we'll be doing that every every uh, every December going forward. So it'll be a, a prize one 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 trip per year to come out to sunny Perth to come and train with myself and the Swim Smooth Squad and uh, to do some work on improving your swimming. Yeah, de- definitely sign up for that newsletter as well. That's it's one of the few newsletters that I'm I'm still on, and still at least one of the few that I still read because I think it's uh, it's absolutely brilliant advice that uh, gets into my inbox every every week. So I really enjoy that. Uh, thank you, Paul. This has been absolutely brilliant, and uh, we've gone for a long time, so this will be two episodes. Uh, but I think it's uh, well well worth it, and I'm sure that the listeners will enjoy. So you have a great uh, rest of uh, your day, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Michael. It's been great on, to be on the show. So that was quite the juicy of an interview. It was long. It was two parts, which uh, I kind of like really these really long interviews where we can go in detail. But uh, I'm conscious that it is very difficult to stay uh, to keep a high a good attention to any content that is longer than let's say 45 minutes so i do not want to post these long interviews in one single episode i think it's more useful for you more more educational if it's two episodes so that you can really focus in on it and uh, and evaluate it uh, kind of digest the information before listening to the next part so any feedback on that of course just send me an email to michael at scientifictriathlon.com but uh, for now, this is kind of my thought process for splitting these episodes or these interviews in two parts. But my key takeaways from this entire interview, so not just this episode, but the last one as well. First, the weekly structure that uh, Paul mentioned for, uh, for triathletes in terms of swim training would be one technique session, one endurance plus technique session, one red mist uh, endurance session, which is that uh, infamous 10 times 400, and one CSS development session. And also they had the kind of mixed session with a lot of open water skill building and uh, other stuff in it. But I think the four first ones are the main ones. And if you can only do two or three of them, then I guess that would be... I think Paul might have mentioned this in the interview, so I hope I'm not uh, saying anything incorrect here, but definitely the CSS development session and uh, probably the endurance plus plus technique session would be another one to make and then maybe uh, maybe alternate between doing a red mist and uh, a technique session. That's uh, uh, This is just me thinking about how, how to do the... to choose three sessions out of the four. But uh, as I said... 
maybe you already heard it in the interview with Paul. Maybe he said it and I just can't remember it because I'm recording this uh, this outro a few days, uh, quite a few days after recording the actual interview. So I'll be curious to, to listen to it again and uh, see what uh, Paul's take on that was. My second key takeaway is uh, different strokes for different folks. Uh, you do not always want to look and need to look like smooth pool swimmers, that Mr. Smooth style with a long, seemingly very efficient stroke. As Paul said, most of the world's greatest triathlon swimmers look nothing like that. They are swingers, they have a, a high stroke rate, very effective for open water and for swimming in a pack, for adapting to very, very variable conditions. So go and check out the articles on SwimSmooth, that's swimsmooth.com, on the different archetypes. That's a very useful reading and I do highly recommend the SwimSmooth book for more, a more in-depth description of all of these archetypes and what each archetype should uh, work on. So if you do not look like the, the smooth type, my point is you do not need to. You can work on your strengths and uh, make sure that it's uh, adaptable as well to or that it's adapted to your, your body build. If you are short and have short arms, then you are never going to be an Ian Thorpe. Uh, you would do much better to be an Alistair Brownlee with, uh, with a rapid stroke rate. The final key takeaway is uh, focus on progression rather than periodization. This is, uh, I'm quite happy that this theme has come up uh, quite recently uh, several times from different coaches because uh, there is, uh, I think this is definitely something that we need to discuss more about. And I do agree with, with this for sure. And uh, trying to make two intricate periodization patterns is uh, not in itself uh, going to make your training any more effective than just doing kind of following a pattern and just progressing through that like making the sessions more and more challenging but uh, even so you may still be doing a css development session throughout the year so that was my final key takeaway and uh, again those three main ones were the weekly structure the different strokes for different folks and the progression rather than periodization as usual, you can find the show notes for this episode on thattriathlonshow.com. You can leave your comments or questions there. And uh, I've again linked to that webpage where I have all of my swim uh, categorized uh, interviews and uh, podcast episodes, even some blog posts, I believe, from back in the day when I still did some blogs. So uh, that is definitely a page that I recommend you check out. You can click the link in the episode description below to go and have a look at that and see what others, other coaches are saying about some of these topics that we've discussed here today with Paul. One thing that I don't think I mentioned in the intro, but uh, yes, I am still at the airport, if you heard any background noise in my intro and outro today, and that will be the case for episode 134 as well. I have a couple of hours to kill here before flying back to, to Lisbon after spending a week in, uh, in Finland at my family's place. But next episode will be with AJ Johnson, who is a coach for D3 Multisport. We had Mike Ritchie on before, from who is the uh, founder of D3 Multisport. And AJ is uh, a fantastic coach uh, who also works for that company. And our topic will be how to structure your triathlon training for different scenarios of time availability. So, for example, how should you train and structure training week if you have six hours per week available to you versus 
if you have 16 hours per week available and so on. We'll cover all of these scenarios. So that will be a good one. Stay tuned for that. Subscribe if you haven't already. And finally, I want to once again ask you to share this podcast with all of your triathlon and endurance sports friends. And please, please, please rate and review it on iTunes. If you feel you're getting value out of it, that's how you can do me a favor back and uh, and get make sure that the podcast reaches a larger audience, which really, really helps. So thank you in advance for doing that. Also, big, big thank you to Precision Hydration, who is the sponsor of this podcast. You can find them on precisionhydration.com, where they have a free online sweat test, so you can learn about your individual sweat or your sodium needs, I should say. Uh, I I don't know, maybe they will put up your sweat needs at some point, but uh, for now, your sodium needs will do. Uh, but that's their product anyway, so you can get sodium products that uh, that suit your individual uh, sodium loss rate in your sweat, which is what makes precision hydration unique. You do not need to just uh, fumble in the dark and uh, take a random number of salt tablets from your when you go to your next race you can actually have a clue what you're doing with the help of precision hydration and their their resources their sweat test and their products and make sure that you get exactly what you need no less no more which will help you perform well stave off cramps but also not take too much salt which could potentially uh, cause other issues uh, on going too far to to the extreme in the other direction so if you haven't already tried Precision Hydration, do that by using the, the promo code DATTRIATHLONSHOW, all one word, all caps, which will give you your first box for free on precisionhydration.com. Congrats, by the way, to Ben Canute, Precision Hydration athlete, who, is, uh, uh, who won the Escape from Alcatraz Triathlon just a couple of days ago by the time of this recording. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlons.